I don't have any lawyers in my family. I don't have any close friends for lawyers. I had, I had no point of reference for lawyering other than I heard you could do anything with a law degree. And that to me was a big sell because I still didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer. But what I wanted was the options that I thought a law degree could give me. Whether coming to college in New Hampshire and thinking it would be just like New York, or going to law school thinking it would be like an intimate salon where you talked about big ideas, Sharon Walker has gotten into some spaces in her life that didn't quite live up to her expectations. Through it all, she's figured out who she is, what she likes, and how she can make a better life. Find out how being uncomfortable and growing through it can be fuel for change on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today, I'm here with Sharon Walker, and we are going to talk about boundaries and borders and stemming them and crossing them and seeing where life takes us. So Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Very excited. All right. So I start this the same way with all of my guests and ask two questions, and they are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? Wow. I feel like I can divide my college experience in two. So I came to Dartmouth directly from Trinidad. So I was an international student. And so I came from an island that is 10 degrees off the equator to Hanover, New Hampshire via New York. I'd never visited. And so basically I was, <laughs> for the first year in at Dartmouth, I was an, an alien. <laughs> a cold alien. Yeah, a very cold alien. Alien. I had never experienced snow. I'd never been in a small town that was so white. <laughs> not like I just it it was not it was so outside my realm of sort of conceptualization. For some reason I thought it was near to New York and therefore it was like-ish, maybe New York, but or something, mm -hmm. but not small town Hanover. So and I got shingles <gasps> freshman week so I was actually like in the infirmary for the entire freshman week so I didn't meet anybody other than my roommates <laughs> oh and yeah. so aside from the culture shock there was also that that sort of important piece that I, I missed like I, I didn't know anybody you know I also came from an all-girls catholic school I was Ooh. really shy I was tall and awkward I, so it like there were so many like opposites from my life, I just, I, I floundered yeah. first year. Like I really, really did. I have to shout out to my wonderful roommates. So Vanessa Santaga was like, she shared my heater. So I want to <laughs> apologize 25 years later because I control the heat and she basically sweat. <laughs> she sweat. She was like, her windows would be open in the dead of winter because I was cold and she was so hot. So first year, floundered. I cried a lot. I, I started looking at transferring to Stanford because I wanted something warmer. And then I was able to go home that first summer. And I think I was able to step back and sort of think, you know, all the reasons I decided to go to Dartmouth was this great school. It was a liberal arts college. And I decided the way to make it through was to just throw myself and get involved in as many things as possible. 
So I came back and I was a residence advisor and that, that took me out of myself. Yeah. Like I had to focus on other people right. and incoming freshmen were dealing with a lot of these same things I had. So, so that, that's the sort of, there was a fork in the road. I decided to stay on the Dartmouth road and I got involved in gospel choir and volunteering and, you know, like any, I think person would have said, if you give it time, you will find your people. And I found my people and that, that helped. And so, you know, I do see that going to Dartmouth changed the trajectory of my life. I, I truly believe that. <laughs> yeah, well, um, how could it not? Yeah. And then who was I when I left? Who did I think I was going to become? I, I had no idea. I had no idea. My dad really wanted me to become a doctor. And so I did my tour of duty through organic chemistry. And, and it broke me. I, like, uh-huh. I, I remember it's the grade I got and I cried. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm not probably going to do that. I didn't really want to do consulting. I, I literally had no idea. I was like, mm. you know, they just told us how you know great we are and how many skills we have. <laughs> so, you know, just I know how to think. They taught us how to think. Just let me out in the world and I'll, I'll figure something out. So I think I was just, I was just up to explore always more non-traditional kind of work. So I knew consulting, banking wasn't going to be for me. But I never actually knew what. So I was just like, I'm gonna gonna wing it, which is like the story of my life. <laughs> Pre-med was not it. What was the concentration that you had settled on in college? So I did French because I loved it. I loved it. And so I didn't know what I would do with that. But I was like, am I going to be here? I'm going to do something I love. I liked biology. So and I liked writing. So I, did, I, I was a dabbler. I feel like yeah. I'm a, a professional dabbler. <laughs> I love it. Which is what they teach you in a liberal arts. That's right. Place, but they don't really prepare you for taking that first step. So how did you find your way out of college? So I went to New York. I moved in with my besties. So Vanessa was my roommate. We did like a friend situation we lived in a brownstone in Brooklyn. She and I lived upstairs. My friends Nick and Max lived downstairs. And so, and then what I do, I temped for a while. And then I worked for an internet startup as a marketing manager. But because I wasn't American, my visa ran out. And so I either had to like get money and pay a lawyer. And when I consulted with a lawyer, they were like, well, you work for a startup. So, you know, the INS is probably going to think it's your friends trying to keep (laughs) you in the country. (laughs) So your chances of actually getting an extension or being sponsored through them is pretty low. And I didn't have a bunch of money. And I had the option, because even though I grew up in Trinidad, I was actually born in Canada. And my mom and my brother are here. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'm going to go to Toronto, check that out for a while. And so... Yeah. A while has become a while. Yeah. A while has become like over 15 years. So yeah. So that's, and then again, came to Toronto. I'd never lived in Canada. I'd never lived in Toronto. So, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking. I'd I'd left all my friends behind, Mm -hmm. you know, so it, it really, it was a starting over again. Yeah. 
But you were gaining, you weren't like in the middle of nowhere and you were gaining that that's cosmopolitanism right. that you were looking, you thought that you were going to get the that's first right. time around. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so, you know, I, what I've come to realize, it becomes harder and harder in some respects to make friends the older you get, you know. And so because I hadn't gone to school, to university here, I was sort of coming in after mm, everybody else yeah. had their sort of friend groups not established, but you know, they become, I think they become less fluid, the older and older people get, you know, when they start to have families and, you know, they've been friends with with people for 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I was lucky though. I, um, I tempt, so I got to get to know the city and, you know, from every temp job, I think I met at least, you know, one really good friend and then I also join a gym because it gives structures to my days. And I, you know, to this day, I have gym friends. People are like, how do you know that person? I met them in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's to your earlier point, like you wait long enough and you find your people. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I did not know what I wanted to become. And to be honest, I'm still in that place where I've done a lot of things. I still haven't landed in the place where I know. Yeah. Yeah, well, but maybe that's not the, I mean, it can't possibly be the path for everyone to find that, you know, be be stuck somewhere or be, you know. So what have, the, what have been the dabbling things that have caught your fancy or, along the years? So I've been a financial analyst for a bit. I have owned my own web design and consulting business. I have done event planning. What else? I've done I've done my own business like I think more more consistently than anything because every time I go back to quote unquote a real job, I'm like I don't really <laughs> I don't really like, you know, the potential structure or the bureaucracy or whatever, you know. Yeah. I've worked at a board of trade. Most recently, you know, as we talk about sort of traditional versus non-traditional jobs, I'm I'm actually trained as a lawyer. So I went back to law school and yeah, I'm a lawyer, but I don't practice. Okay. So what, <laughs> so you're a non-practicing lawyer, which means right. at some point, maybe even as you were getting into it, you knew this wasn't going to be like the, yeah. the career. What drew you to go back to school in the first place? So I graduated from Dartmouth, stayed in New York for a bit, moved to Toronto, temp, you know, get hired on full time. I do that sort of a bunch of times. And then, ironically enough, I end up working at a hospital as an executive assistant because I think to myself, well, you know, maybe I can revisit med school. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I wrote the MCATs and I'm like, yeah, no, because by now I'm in my 30s. And I think to myself, do I really want to go back to school for another 10 years? Right. The answer is a resounding no. Also, because I don't feel a compelling passion to be a doctor. Right. Maybe if I thought, I really wanted it. It wouldn't be such a, what felt to me like a slog. So it wasn't that, you know, I thought about an MBA. I thought about a master's in health administration. Those didn't sound particularly interesting. And my boss, I tell him this all the time. I'm like, I blame him for law school (laughs) because he said to me, he's like, why didn't you go to law school? And law school had never, I don't have any lawyers in my family. I don't have any close friends for a lawyer. I had, I had no point of reference for lawyering mm-hmm. other than I heard you could do anything with a law degree. And that to me was a big sell because I still didn't, 
think I wanted to be a lawyer. But what I wanted was the options that I thought a law degree would give me. Also, it was only three years. So I'm like, I could do that, you know? Right. Yeah, so I blithely went to law school thinking it would actually be like a liberal arts college. And that is... Uh no the absolute no <laughs> it is does, so... in, the, in that it can lead to a variety of outcomes later yeah no but i thought it, i thought it was like dartmouth grown up you know like so you'd have all these great classes and you'd talk about ideas and that is not law school that is not law school and by the time i sort of realized it wasn't going to be that it was like they had I'd already committed money and i was like i'm just I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So, And yeah. another way to m- meet people and build that network again, because you were in, in Canada at that point. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know if I really was like building network. I was just like, I'm here now. So <laughs> it's like, once again, I'm like, so I did that sort of more pragmatic. It's a good school, you know, the degree from, so I went to the University of Toronto. It was a really highly regarded you know, it is currency of a sort. If I'm going to slog it out, I may as well get the best, you know, kind of looking degree. Mm-hmm. And, and I did find some people who were also similarly aghast that we were doing this. And so, you know, but whatever, I made it through, I summered. And then unlike the US, after we graduate, we have a sort of apprentice period, I call it, it's called articling. So there was another year. So I did that at a big, sort of reputable firm and hate, like absolutely hated it. I was just like, if I have to do this more than this period of time, I, I cannot do it. So I actually opted out of the process of hire back, kind of not knowing what next, but I knew that wasn't it for sure. Yeah. Well, that is a good thing to know that early. Yeah. So again, I was back to, you know, well, what now? So what did I do? I did some consulting work. I worked for, we have a provincial uh, advocacy body for hospitals. So I did some sort of policy work for them. I did go back after a little while to a boutique firm just to make sure my angst wasn't really about the size of, you know, a firm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe a small one will be better. It was in some respects, but my real my real issue is with the sort of billable hour and the practice of law and the, the culture that kind of grows out from that. Mm. So yeah, I worked I walked away from that job too, and I was like, all right. So and that that began the sort of non practicing. So I do project based kind of e discovery work now. So legal tech. Um, mm. So I still kind of notionally use my law degree, but it's project-based. So, you know, I work as many hours as I want. There's a, there's a high degree of flexibility in this job. On your own terms, setting your own culture. That's right. Stepping away from other people's toxic cultures. That's right. And the pandemic has made it, I mean, we used to have to go into an office, but now technically that job should all have, always have been a work from home situation. But you know, what I've come to realize is that the idea of work and work models are very deeply entrenched. Yes. You know, and it, like it, they're very deeply entrenched. So anyway, the pandemic was a accelerator for at least this portion of legal tech to really just, you know, see, 
unequivocally, you could do this work from home, you know? So, so that's where I am now. That's what I do now. Again, I've been doing it for, I mean, there are reasons why I, I kept doing it for as long as I have. And now it's time for a change. Again, in that sort of exploration mode of, of what next. Right. Well, and that seems to be, I think, your MO from the beginning, because you you will jump into something, you know, not really realizing New Hampshire isn't New York City and like, I'll just try it and then reassess, see what I need to shed from that experience, what I can reclaim and dive into and make better and then move on. And I would say, I love that you said earlier that you had enjoyed writing because I can see all of these like life experiences have to be fodder for something for you to, to write about at some point. Um. <laughs> well, I actually, I just, again, the pandemic was, uh, you know, a great time creator in some respects. So I started writing a, a blog. It's called Unsuited. It's for escapee private practice lawyers. And so I love it. It's all this stuff I wish somebody had told me prior to going to law school. I may have ended up there anyway, but I wish somebody had been like unsparingly kind of honest about what the experience is, yeah. you know, and is not to be, to be you know, what, what it is not, what, what are kind of realistic expectations from that experience, I think. From my informal poll, I would say 90% of the lawyers I know who have been private practice lawyers were unhappy or are unhappy. <laughs> it's insane when I sort of step back and think about how unhappy people are in this profession. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's great that you're doing your part to kind of shed some light on that and maybe save some folks from it or make people at least recognize, okay, I'm not alone. And... I have to have some other pursuits outside the day job. Yeah, <laughs> it might get there eventually. I mean, for me too, it's also cathartic to actually say those things out loud. You know, like I hate this. I hated it. I hate it. You know, and and not there's no repercussions around that. You know, I think when you're in it, you have to be a little more circumspect. So so I do get it. You know, I I have this kind of luxury on the other side. No, it's it's been good. <laughs> Well, it's a brilliant name. <laughs> All right. So if you are to think back to, often I have people think back to as we were leaving, but I want to go back even further. That yes. at first summer after getting to college and thinking, oh my, what have I done? Would that Sharon look at you now and be like, yeah, it was totally worth sticking in here? Yes. Yeah. Because as you said, it changed trajectories in many ways. I mean, I've said this, I've said it to you, but I've said this so consistently over my life since, since that time. And so what happened is that Dartmouth basically expanded my life, you know, and not to say that Trinidad isn't, you know, we, we traveled a lot. I had family who lived in the States and like whatever, but living in the States, also in an environment that was unfamiliar and uncomfortable, expanded me in a way that I don't know many other, I mean, like I said, it, it was like traveling to a foreign country and sort of living in, literally and figuratively living in this foreign country for four years. And so, 
you know, exposure to music, to points of view, to opportunities to travel, to ideas, to the not so great stuff around, you know, race and gender and body image, like all of those things were not, they were not on my radar. And so you come to this place and, you know, fortunately I was able to sort of take it in and expand, challenge, you know, all I think about personal growth, (laughs) discomfort, like living all of that, that only made me better to sort of go on to sort of whatever the next phase would have been. Yeah, it's so interesting you said discomfort there at the end because I had been thinking one of those things was not that it's comfortable to be uncomfortable, but you got more comfortable about being uncomfortable. And thus, when you sensed it later iterations of the life, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I know what it feels like to be uncomfortable. This is it. Yeah. And there's an off ramp and I'm going to take it. And then, yeah. And I get, you know, I, I will say at the end of Dartmouth, I was wholly comfortable like I like I knew like that's how sort of familiar I obviously there are circumstances that would always be it's not even uncomfortable there's a different kind of discomfort that comes from sort of bigger societal issues versus you know I know how to navigate this place I have skills now in talking to people I don't know articulating ideas you know, before I came to Dartmouth, I did not have the experience of being the only person of color in a room. I, that had never happened to me before. Right. <laughs> and right. so there is a certain level of initially a self-consciousness, like just awareness that like, wow, I, like, I'm the only one here. You know, what that set me up for is going to law school and practicing in a law firm. I mean, there are lots of places mm-hmm. where you still are. The, you, so those kinds of experiences. Right. Again, it, they're expansive and and growth in a, in a way that then has translated into a certain level of comfort in other situations, and that is, you know, that is Dartmouth. You know that that is the wonderful legacy of having kind of gone there. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you are in for another new chapter and there will be uncomfortable moments, no doubt, but I am sure you will find the way to either leap out of it or make it a little bit more palatable or even something that brings you great joy. And I hope it's definitely the latter. That was Sharon Walker, who's a Canadian by way of Trinidad writer, traveler and self-described escapee of private practice law on the quest to design a better life. When she stopped taking on consulting projects that run the gamut from legal tech and providing freelance legal consulting to helping build a company's strategic vision, she posts to her blog and lifestyle community, Unsuited, for lawyers and non-lawyers who have, quote, come to the sudden and unwelcome realization that maybe we fundamentally misunderstood the assignment, who feel unsuited to and unsuitable for the place we now find ourselves. Check it out at unsuitedtheblog.com. And don't forget to check us out at rosetakenshow.com, where you can find any of the last 90-plus episodes you might have missed, scan the show notes and transcripts, and see some pretty amazing then-and-now photos of each guest. Please follow, subscribe, rate, and review so that our numbers go up and attract more people to tune in with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, for future episodes of Roads Taken. <laughs>